Hello, listeners. Welcome to Strength and Recovery Podcast. Real people, real experiences, real hope. This podcast is presented by the Alumni Association of Recovery Centers of America. I'm your host, Jay Rodenbush, the Director of Alumni Engagement at RCA. This podcast will explore the journey of recovery through the eyes and perspectives of some of RCA's very own alumni, staff members, recovery advocates, family members, and friends. Our hope is that this podcast will encourage and inspire listeners to find strength in recovery. The Recovery Centers of America Alumni Association is open to anyone in recovery and provides a safe, supportive, and encouraging sober community. To learn more about the Alumni Association at RCA, our events, service opportunities, our meeting links and schedules, or to make sure you're receiving our daily recovery emails, visit our website at rcaalumni.com. We hope you enjoy our show and find strength in recovery. Jay Rodenbush, Director of Alumni Engagement for Recovery Centers of America, and today we are in King of Prussia at our offices, um, and I'm sitting down with Bob Wedby. He is our Senior Coordinator at what we call the Lighthouse, which is our inpatient facility at Mays Landing, New Jersey, and we're so privileged to have him and just wanted to chat a little bit and talk about his journey, his passion for recovery. I don't think there's anyone that I've met since my time here that hasn't been passionate about recovery, but Bob just has that special gift of working, engaging with people, and and sharing his passion for recovery. So wanted everyone and our listeners to be able to experience that today. So Bob, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey Jay, my name is Bob Wedby. I am the alumni coordinator at RCA Lighthouse. And uh, I am in recovery myself, and um, I'm really blessed to, to have this position to be able to try to affect change um, in the recovery community, and you know, stay connected with with all the different individuals that I come across and meet in my journey of recovery. Awesome. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you came to RCA. What's the, what's that journey been like for you? Well, in um, <clears throat> I, I suffer from alcohol and drug addiction, and um, it was getting pretty bad for me in, in the beginning of 2016. So I decided um, that I needed to seek help. It was it was a scary situation for me, never actually not knowing a lot about the process. You know, coming, I was 51 years old when I came in, so I, was, I guess you can kind of say I was set in my ways and and stuff like that. So I when I entered treatment, I probably I think it was March 23rd of 2016. I entered treatment at RCA uh, Lake House of Maze Landing. And why, why that moment? Why then? It, well, it, a lot of times they talk about the gift of separation or desperation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I just I had ran out of options, or or it was really very difficult for me to see any path forward in the the, the current situation that I was in. And so at that time, treatment looked like 
you know, a really good idea. And I, I'm blessed to live maybe 15, 20 minutes from the lighthouse. I'm, I live in Estelle Manor, which is right outside of Mays Landing. And so, uh, actually, I'm patient number 18. Um, awesome. Yeah, so um, I had to wait a couple days to get in because they were just actually ramping up. Like I said, I think it was March 23rd, and RCA began their journey in recovery on March 7th of that same year. So, um, yeah, I kind of feel like I've grown with them the whole time. I'm, I'm an RCA baby, even though I'm 57 years old. And um, anything I really know about recovery is, is either through RCA and RCA Lighthouse itself or the recovery community that is so involved and connected to, to our facility. So. Why don't you take us to that first day? The day you're walking through the doors at RCA Lighthouse, it's got to be a little intimidating. Yeah, yeah. fear. The, the, I guess the, the word that I would use for how I felt that moment was an intense amount of fear. Mm -hmm. You know, not knowing the unknown. Um, <clears throat> it, it's really interesting for people in recovery to recognize that you have to make change, but actually do that change. And I don't know why, but as I was in the car, what I remember of it is the closer I got, the scarier I got, you know. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, entering those doors, I probably, if it's fair to say, wasn't a model, you know, patient early in treatment. I'm a bigger guy and, um, you know, I have a pretty loud voice. So, and what I realized is, is um, actually what I realized through recovery and working and being a patient at RCA is my fear was masked by some aggressions, you know, some, um, my fear was masked because I, um, it, it was just a, it was just a scary situation. I didn't know how to handle it, so I um, I struggled a little bit early with that in treatment. But um, yeah, it's just a. So you weren't you you suffered from a little bit of resistance. There's no doubt that. about that. I'm sorry. I'm Talk sorry. about it. No, um, don't yeah. be sorry. It's great. Um, no, it, it's it's real interesting. It's like part of you knows that you you want to enter treatment, but there's all the variables and the unknown, and quite frankly, the uncertainty of it. You know, so when I walked through that door um, on March 23rd, 2016, that was the worst day of my life up to that point. But the beautiful part of that is I can look back on that day today and I can say that was one of the best moments of my life because that's when my life changed its trajectory and started coming back to the sunlight and coming back to, you know, um, to who I am as a person as opposed as a person who is, is suffering from, you know, active drug addiction. And you know that that was that was pretty powerful. And you know, I, I th we talk a lot about in recovery about perspective. You change your perspective of how how a moment had looked to you as you grow. And I can't help I you know I get to walk through that door every day now. The same door that I was afraid to come through, and I'm blessed to walk through that door every day. Wow. And tell me now, as alumni coordinators, our goal is to connect with patients within the first 24 to 48 hours that they arrive at an RCA facility. We just want that connection. So tell me how you do that. What's that like when you go up to patients, you see the fear in their eyes, you know the fear in their eyes because you've experienced it. What do you say to them? I just try to have a true authentic conversation. First thing I say is hello. I say hello, hi, my name's Bob. You know, what's your name? Where are you from? I try to normalize, normalize the conversation as much as possible. And again, I think going through that process myself, I have a lot of empathy and understanding of what they're going through. And to be able to relay that to them and let them know, and honestly, to be an example of someone who felt just like they did, but now I'm actually able to be on the other side talking to them about that. 
you know, um, most people who come into treatment, they are they feel the same way I did. They're scared. They got a lot of external things going on in their lives that probably aren't working out maybe like they would want to. So they have a lot of that hanging over them. So just let them know that, you know, they're not the first one that's been through the process. And quite frankly, that those feelings are normal in that. They're, they're normal feelings for a human being in that situation. And, you know, it's it's... It's just a relatability. It's just conversations. It's just connections, you know. I like to get to know the folks. I like to get to know them, who they are as an individual, where they're from, their, you know, how many children they have, are they married, what's their occupation, you know, because I, I think that's important. You know, people want to be heard. They deserve to be heard, you know, and if you're struggling then at that time, just to start that little bit of kernel of um, connection with them, I think is really, really important. So what is treatment like? When someone walks through those doors, what is that journey? It's really, uh, we want to talk about my personal journey. Yeah, let's go back Yeah, there. so, well, my, my, the substances I, I was suffering, I was using um, opiates and alcohol, so I had to detox from them. So the detox process for me was about seven days. It wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was, or maybe I had, had it, how it had magnified in my mind. Um, so... Physically, for the first couple of days, I didn't feel great. I kind of had like the flu. I had a lot of thoughts going in my mind. Um, but I got to tell you, and I, you know, I'm, I'm in so many uh, points in my life, I'm truly blessed because my roommate, who we actually shared the same birthday, different years, the same birthday, he had been through the process before, and he, he, <clears throat> even though maybe I was a little bit grumpy and stuff like that, he would actually help me out a lot, explain the situation to me. And you know what's beautiful about that? I remember about maybe about 10 days in, and uh, I went up to him and I said, hey, man, I got to, you know, really thank you for that. And he's like, you know, I, I know I was acting like a jerk and all that. And he said, you know, that's just what we do. That's the first time I ever heard that. That's just what we do. One alcoholic, one addict sharing their experience, strength, and hope with another one. So that was really interesting. Um, like I said, it took me a couple days. The staff there was incredible. I actually get to work with some of those people still today. But just to watch the staff, the compassion and the empathy that they had, um, and also some of the patients that were there who had been through the process before, or quite frankly, had just been there a couple of days or a week before, to able to help me kind of navigate through that. And, and for me to actually, maybe for the first time in my life, was to begin the process of accepting help. You know, I, th I think for a, for, a, for a lot of us with what we talk about ego and self-will and, and some of these, you know, words we use in, in, in recovery, I wasn't able to accept help because if I did accept help, I was acknowledging the problem. And I didn't want to acknowledge the problem, at least in my active addiction. But the scene that was there, and what I mean by that is that the love and compassion that was expressed there um, just allowed me to open up and begin that process. And I can't thank those people people enough, the folks, the, the staff. And like I said, there was a 19-year-old young man who taught me more about recovery in the first two weeks. You know, it just blew my mind, you know. And he was just a great guy, and he shared with me. And, and you know what else was really interesting is, yeah, I probably was a jerk, if that's fair, my first week. <laughs> Not <laughs> you, Bob. <laughs> right? But no one held that against me. You know, and it and it's like and they had been there before, and they actually expressed that. So it it was really interesting in the in the sense that I, I let my guard down because of that. Because I always thought like you know I would act I would act inappropriately, let's say, um, and then the, uh, relationships would be broken because of that. But these folks were like, no, no, 
you know, we're not giving up. We're not giving up on you. <laughs> and that's that was that for uh, for me as a person who probably suffered from people giving up on them and giving up on myself to get that experience to feel it in your soul is the best way to describe it. Like you see it, you feel it. And I, I remember, <clears throat> I remember probably like a, a week into treatment, I woke up, I was lying in my bed and I, I was looking up the ceiling. I said, Bob, you know, you have tried every other possible way to, to overcome some of these difficulties you're having. Why don't you just go ahead and try what these folks are you know, asking you to do? And it's amazing. I walked out of that hall, I walked out of my room, walked down that hallway and I was a different person. You know, surrender. I, mean, I surrendered exactly. You know, and it's like, and it's hard. I'm not gonna lie. It's it, it it's hard, but it's 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 essential. You know, to give up control and to trust are some of the most difficult things that a human being can do. But it's it's the um, gateway to a new future. So you have this beginning, and you've got 30 days. You're open, and it's time to leave. Mm -hmm. What's that like? Scary. So you have fear coming in, mm -hmm. and now all of this is again like, okay, I've, I've done well, I did what they said, mm -hmm. but I gotta face this fear again. T two different types of fear. I'm okay. really glad you uh, brought it up because it's interesting. The first fear I had when I came in was uncertainty and hopelessness. Mm -hmm. So a as I talk about hopelessness, I I'm blessed to do a lot of groups and educational um, therapeutic activity groups for individuals, and I talk about what hopeless meant to me in that time is not knowing what to do. This is a really powerful thing for me. I didn't know what to do, like I said before, I was at the end of my rope, and so I had that fear. But the fear I had when I left treatment was that I needed to stick to what I had been taught, and can I do that, right? And, and that, that was interesting, but what I did was I went right directly into IOP the next day. I had met some people who came in to provide service, and I went to meetings and stuff like that. And just began began the process, but it was a, it was like I halfway through um, my treatment, I no longer felt hopeless. I had hope. Now there's responsibility that comes with hope. Okay. If that makes any sense, so there's responsibility that comes with hope to myself, to my family, to everybody else. So there was apprehension or maybe a little bit of fear that I wouldn't be able to do that. But as I look back on it, that was that's a healthy that was a healthy fear. So see how fear has transformed itself within you know 17, 18 days into wow, I can do this, or, and I'm, there's examples out here where people can do this, and I remember that feeling, you have a feeling, it's so hard to articulate what it is, it's like, I can do this, and I have hope, and wow, I may have a future, where when I came in, there was no future. So, I know that you came back to RCA for meetings, mm -hmm. uh, how did that help? It was a tremendous help, it was a tremendous help, because I was... I was still connected to, well, it was really interesting at first because to be able to come back and be with the people you just were in treatment and kind of like on the other side, but just being there for them like people had done for me. And, um, you know, I, I often say is like, I never left RCA. Mm -hmm. I've never left. So as soon as I, um, as soon as I left treatment and started IOP, I, w I would go there four or five uh, nights a week to go to those meetings. I really had an affinity for the place that was like, there's there's places in that building are like holy ground to me, mm -hmm. you know, because of the, ex the beautiful experiences I, I had had. So, and, and we're just building now. So if you can see the story, we're just building. Okay, so you you didn't know what to do. You're scared to death. You find a new way, a possible new way of living through treatment. Then you got to go out and execute that plan. But there's an excitement around that as well. <clears throat> and quite frankly, 
I just did what people told told me to do. You know. Is that why you chose IOP to continue yeah, your treatment? I, I did. As a matter of fact, I stayed in IOP way longer um, than I um, than I was necessarily mandated because I loved IOP so much. Tell me what IOP is. Oh, uh, IOP is an aftercare program. IOP is called intensive outpatient. So it's a, it's basically a step down in a level of care. So when I was in I was in detox, that's a higher level of care. And then when I was done my detox process, probably like six or seven days, I stepped down to residential treatment. So where, where I was still in residential treatment, residing in the facility. And detox and residential is typically about thirty days. Right around thirty days. Okay, and so then there's an option for when people. Mm-hmm leave treatment so to speak or I, I, to continue treatment absolutely and and that option is again a step down so i i i moved back home um but three three nights a week i came back for three hours a night so i was getting nine actually i was getting nine hours of therapy a week so think about it. it's like a step down process i love the word it's okay so here i am medically detoxing i need actually nurses and doctors to help me navigate that situation um, to a residential treatment where I no longer necessarily need doctors or, you know, I have been um, detoxed off the substances I was using. And so I began to go to groups and to meetings to learn about my disease, learn about the, the, the medical and psychological aspects of my disease, and then also at the same time learn about the spirituality which can help me in my journey to grow away from my disease. So that was so powerful to me. And then to go back to IOP was just another phase, and I was really excited about that. So when I entered IOP, um, my IOP therapist, I, I owe a lot to him because he was tough on me, but he um, he really brought a lot out of me. He, I, I don't know how to explain this other than he saw he saw in me what I needed and gave it to me. It's the hardest thing he said. You said he was tough on you. Mm-hmm. He said he, he wasn't going to co-sign you know, some of the things that I would bring in there. Like, I would bring, you know, for as an addict or an alcoholic, sometimes we try to... Like your plan? <laughs> yeah, you He know? didn't like your plan? No, and, and you know, he, he told me I had to get honest with myself. And so when I was being dishonest and he knew that, he told me about that, right? And, you know, the interesting part of that is maybe earlier in my life, I would have I would ended a relationship right there, but I respected that. I respected the man. <clears throat> I respected the process. And like I said before, I was told this is the process that I have to go through, and I bought into that. You know, and, and, and I got to be honest with you, after a month or maybe six weeks, uh, he would actually, he would sit in there and let me run groups right from the very, um, I don't know, man, I, I, if I'm honest with you, the man came up to me one day and he said, hey, you know, you can go back to school and become a therapist. And I was like, go back to school? I didn't even finish school. He's like, he said, you can actually go back to, are you, and I said to him, are you saying you think I'd be a good therapist? He said, you're a natural at this. And, you know, um, man, it was a beautiful thing. So I, I, I didn't So did that, do you think that is what opened the door for you to think about working in treatment? Absolutely. Well, it, it, was, a, it was a big part of it. But, again, going back to the service piece, when I, when I saw the people, the, the staff, and but also the patient, my peers that were um, so willing to help for altruistic reasons, um, I wanted to be a part of that. It, it made me feel good about myself again. And, you know, it's interesting. I had to wear, like, they gave us, like, an RCA, um, like a sweater. And I would wear the sweater. And then after a while, the new patients, when they came in, they thought I was a staff member, you know, <laughs> because I, I was really excited about when folks came in 
just to give them the lay of the land, tell them about what you know what's going on. This is the process going through that, and um, and I and I derived a great amount of um, you know, my, my, it was bringing my self esteem back to where I needed. So you finished treatment, you thirty day treatment, mm-hmm. then you go to intensive outpatient. Mm-hmm. And you're attending meetings mm-hmm. right back at RCA, mm-hmm. and then you start working for him. Yeah, RCA. yeah, yeah. I'm blessed. So I kept, I kept bugging him. I kept bugging him. I kept bugging him. So he finally let me work there. <laughs> <I didn't> work <laughs> you know, it was like it was like eight, eighteen months, and and I, I eighteen start, months. Eight about right around eighteen that months. Process. Yeah. So, so yeah. So and I think that that amount of time was important for me because I was able to grow in my recovery I was able to solidify my recovery I, I started going to, I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous I started going to meetings I went through the 12 steps um, my sponsor is also a um, alumnus of RCA so he would come back so I was introduced to a whole bunch of different meetings and um, just going back there and, and seeing the generations for lack of a better word of patients coming through and then actually seeing them go out in the community i was just drawn to it so when there was an opportunity to open up to be kind of like a, a driver and an rss i jumped at the chance so your first job at rca was as a driver yeah it was a driver yeah what a great job i love that job oh yeah i think our drivers are some of my favorite people at our sites it's it's such a vital vital job in the fact that we're the first face that struggling people see when they get in that car and, um, you know, I think a driver can make and break a relationship about, um, you know, what the facility's about. So for me, that, again, in, in the 12-step programs and what I was being taught is just, you know, to, to share your experience, strength, and hope. So I was trying to do that. And, you know, just, just, just to be able to um, talk to people about what's going on with them, especially recognizing that they're going through the same experience that I had done, you know. So I really love to do that. Um, at the same time, I was an RSS, um, recovery support, support specialist. So tell me what an RSS is. It's the backbone of the facility. In what way? They are right there and they have the most contact with the patients. They have the eyes on the patients and, and they, um, they're just there to help the patients navigate through where they got to go, where they got to be, if there's a you know, a doctor's appointment, a therapist's appointment, or something. they help them with that. Um, but really, they're there to relate with the patients. I mean, and for me, that job was fantastic because I actually got to talk to individuals, got to get to know them, and be there for them, like what was done for me. And how long did you work as a RSS? It's probably about two years. Two years. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I was in that process. <clears throat> I went back to school to get my uh, CADC. Nice. And say what? Tell me what I, that I, is. That's a certified alcohol and drug counselor. Okay. And and I began to intern. Our clinical dir- director, Crystal, is my um, supervisor, and I began to intern there. So at that time, I would actually come in on my own time and and do my intern hours. You know, learning how to, you know, the nuts and bolts of what treatment's all about. Um, I had a great group of therapists to allow me to come into their th- uh, therapeutic groups and and learn how I, I learn how the a process group works. I was really, 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 really excited about that. Um, so I was able to do a lot of roles in there as an intern. I was an intern clinical coordinator. Um, I was an intern therapist for a short amount of time. Um, and that was really, really enjoyable. But all those things are awesome. But the day I became a recovery instructor. Recovery instructor. Have you had every job at RCA? I think I had a <laughs> lot of jobs at RCA. I That's think awesome. I did. I love um, it. Yeah, recovery instructor was just talking about the 12 steps of spirituality and stuff like okay. that, doing groups and one-on-ones, and then, then we started the Alumni Association. 
Which and is, that's where you've been currently, and you just got a promotion to yeah, senior alumni yeah, coordinator. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about that job. What do you do? Uh, it's, it's amazing. I get to do so many things. So um, I'm actually blessed with, I think, the best job in the company because I get to talk to the, the patients post-treatment. As a matter of fact, that's my job to talk to them post-treatment. And um, we, we provide um, events for the events for the patients to come back. So again, I talked about connection before. What we, what we want to try to do is be a bridge when they leave treatment. We don't want them to think that they're alone anymore, that we are no longer interested in their well-being. So the Alumni Association was, was actually formed for that. We do a lot of uh, virtual meetings for them, volunteer opportunities. Really it's just getting out in the community and, and, and talking to the, the alumni and you know, watching them grow. It's an, it's an incredible job. And I was in the alumni. Actually, I know we didn't talk about that, but I was in the alumni when I first left treatment. So I, I, I went full circle on that. And that was that was really awesome as well, you know, um, just, again, to be a part of. As a person who really didn't want to be a part of for a long, larger part of my life. Well, you didn't want to be a part of? It, it was difficult for me in social situations or if I'm okay. really honest right now. I probably was, uh, it was, a lot of selfishness going on. My disease um, of addiction really um, contributed to that. So once I was free of that and I saw how people were actually combating this disease through service, it's something that I wanted to do. So, And, and you weren't even in this career field. You weren't a counselor. You weren't a teacher. What were you doing before? I was. I owned my own construction business. I was a. I was a carpenter, and <clears throat> for a large por portion of my life, I loved being a carpenter. But towards the end, if I'm honest, it, it kind of contributed to my disease. And uh, what's interesting about how did being a carpenter contribute to your disease? As as I was getting older, um, I would probably drink more, or maybe use more to kind of get through the day. Okay. You know, the monotony of that, and then you know, wages had stagnated. And, and stuff like that but um yeah it's it's amazing because i actually the job i have now or the career path i have now is completely different than the one and I. and you had. made a big shift yeah and uh, at not a an age when typically people are making shifts in their career yeah, so I was is that fair to say <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah and, it, and it's interesting and, and i would never have done that if i didn't go to treatment now, I'm, okay, so we can take out whether I work in the field now because I sure. went to treatment. I would never have been, had enough strength. I never would have had enough um, uh, motivation. I never would have had enough energy to actually change. And I, I never would have had enough belief in myself, you know. And, and, and I look back at that, and it's just, honestly, it blows my mind. It, it truly does in the fact that I was actually able, at 51 years old, to transition to a new way of living. If I may share what I like to share a lot when I do groups is... Probably the last year or two years of my addiction, I was I was of the attitude that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And then I was pretty much going to play this string out, you know. And I can tell you now is not only can you teach an old dog new tricks, but I've went back to school. I've changed my career. And, I, and I'm looking forward to the future. And I don't know what it, it holds, but I'm excited to be a part of it and grow. <clears throat> That's what um, RCA taught me the most is do I want to get up and do I want to grow a little bit to be a better person every day? If I can try to do that, I'm probably going to be more open to what's going on around me. I'm probably going to be more available to the people that I love, and I'm probably going to have better experiences because of that. Well, Bob, I am so thankful for the work you're doing at the Lighthouse. Your alums love you and love your message and the work you're doing there, and, and now you have a partner, another alumni coordinator, Jill, who's just doing an outstanding job. You're bringing the in-person 
Lighthouse alumni meeting back. Yeah. That's going to be on in, in May third. May third. Yeah, is our is our first meeting. That Jill, if I may. Yeah. So Jill and I, um, Jill's just a couple months behind me in her sobriety and also at work and in RCA and. We got to talking, and, and what we were talking to you about maybe starting that meeting back up again is how that meeting was so impactful to us. Being able to go back to a place that I felt familiar with at first before I actually was going to embark on the whole um, aspects of recovery, that, again, not only did I step down in treatment, but I, I also... I stepped down in my recovery as well. I don't want to call it training wheels, but it was a sense where I felt a sense of uh, comfortability. I was around some people I, that I knew. And, and because I put myself in that position, I met more people. And that was so powerful. So, yeah, uh, Jill and I were talking about the other day. We can't believe we're bringing that meeting back because that, that was the, one of the wellsprings of our recovery. So, yeah. That's great. Thanks for all you do. Can we end with favorite recovery quotes my favorite for me yeah for I'm you. living the dream living the dream <laughs> uh living the dream I'm just going to try to be the best version of myself yeah you know I think that's really important you know and uh one day at a time I love it one day somebody's sitting there today and they're hesitant they're not sure if they can pick up the phone they're not sure if they can call 1-800-RECOVERY it's just too scary What's your word of advice? I know exactly how you feel. I know exactly how you feel, and I'm not going to diminish your feelings right there, but that's kind of what recovery is all about. Can I look at fear? Can I be right there with fear? Can I embrace it and then do the things that I need to do to turn my life around? Because I could sit here and tell you all day long that this is an easy process, but in that regard, it's not. But when you do face your fear, when you do pick up that phone, the sense of empowerment you got because you're trying to, to make yourself a better person. And for the family members out there that might be watching, it's the same thing. You know, is um, The hardest thing that you're going to do is take that first step. There's no doubt about it. The most rewarding thing you're going to do is take that first step. Thank you, Bob. You're welcome. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Thanks, Jay. Thank you for joining us today for the Strength and Recovery podcast. Real people, real experiences, real hope. This podcast is presented by the Alumni Association of Recovery Centers of America. If you're interested in learning more, visit rcaalumni.com. Here, you can fill out our web form to make sure you're receiving our daily recovery emails and are notified of special events. The Alumni Association of RCA exists to connect individuals to an active recovery community. It is our goal to work with alumni to help them succeed, belong, and ultimately serve others. We help our alumni succeed by hosting more than 120 recovery support meetings per month with both virtual and in-person offerings of big book studies, speaker meetings, beginners meetings, Monday through Friday daily inspiration meetings, meetings for men and women, and faith-based meetings. Second, we create a welcoming community that provides a sense of belonging with a full calendar of events each month. Speaker series, barbecues, holiday celebrations, bowling, sporting events, theater shows, and much more. Thirdly, 
we provide an opportunity for our alumni to serve both the recovery community and in our local neighborhoods. We offer speaker commitments, chair commitments, mentoring opportunities in our facilities, volunteering at food banks, recovery, and overdose awareness events. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Recovery Centers of America provides inpatient and outpatient treatment and has locations in Massachusetts, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Indiana, and Illinois. Recovery Centers of America, or RCA, was founded to break down barriers to expert treatment. We answer the phone and admit patients 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, are in network with major insurance providers and provide evidence-based treatment in our world-class facilities. If you or someone you know needs help, call 1-800-RECOVERY and know we are here for you.